Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 again and look at verses 10, 11, and 12. In the sentence that covers verses 3 through 6, we have described to us God's choice of us in Jesus Christ for all spiritual blessings in verse 3. His election of us in verse 4, that we, rebel sinners, should be holy without blame before Him in love, and that He did this before the foundation of the world. In verse 5, we have declared that He predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, that God has adopted us as His children by Jesus Christ paying the legal price for it, and He had predestinated us to this end. And it was according to the good pleasure of His will. And to the praise of the glory of His grace, He's made us accepted in Jesus Christ, the Beloved, at the end of verse 6. So we have some very serious things that were done for us before the world began. God elected and chose us in Jesus Christ for all spiritual blessings that He has in heavenly places. He predestinated us to become His sons. He made us accepted in the Beloved. And He did it according to the good pleasure of His will. As verse 5 ends. Now in verse 9, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. This is primarily election predestination, being made accepted in Christ, our eternal union with Jesus, our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, and that He did this before the foundation of the world. So it is a mystery to all creatures. He not being a creature, but the Creator. But it was no mystery to Him. But He's made known unto us the mystery of this will, His purpose that He purposed in Himself, His will that He would adopt out of this sinful race of humanity some to be His children, bypassing the angels in so doing and instead relegating them to being our servants. This was a mystery. Who would know it? How could we know it? Unless He had made it known to us. And He made it known to us by fishermen, and Saul of Tarsus being converted and writing it down for us. God, by the Holy Spirit, inspired him and them to write it down for us. So if you were reading 1 Peter chapter 1 last night, you read these words. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ obeying for us and Jesus Christ sprinkling His blood for us was by election. We were chosen to it. And so it's applied to us on the basis of God's will having settled on us to save us by His Son, Jesus Christ. So verse 9, I say again, God has made known unto us the mystery of His will. How would we ever know the workings of the eternal mind of Jehovah. 
I don't want to use terminology that Freemasons would use or that George Washington would use. I want to use Bible terminology. The Almighty God. The Lord Jehovah, Father and God of the Lord Jesus Christ. The workings of His eternal decrees. He made an everlasting covenant and the Word of God purposed in that covenant to come in the fullness of time and to take on human flesh so that we would have a divine man or an incarnational son. As we sang earlier today in a song named What Endless Wisdom. And that is wisdom to give us a God-man. And the God-man would save us. And we were chosen in that God-man. And our names were written in the book of life of the God-man. And our names were inscribed on the palms of the God-man. Though we had no palms yet. Because it was all by the everlasting covenant of salvation that we are saved. It's been made known to us, the mystery of His will. It's not a mystery to us anymore. What's the answer and the explanation? Because it seemed good in His sight. What's a more thorough answer and explanation? What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Remember, the potter has two kinds of vessels, some to honor, some to dishonor. These were fitted to dishonor. These were fitted to destruction, and God was willing to do so. Our adversaries love to throw Second Peter 3, 9 at us, where it says the Lord is not willing that any should perish. Well, we've got a problem, don't we? Because according to all of this, this is all of His will, and He only elects some. According to Romans 9.22, what if God willing to make His wrath and His power known endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Got a contradiction, don't we? No, we don't. They don't have a contradiction because they've never read Romans 9. So they don't know that Romans 9... Seriously. They've never read Romans 9. Remember the New Testament syllabus at Bob Jones University? These three chapters belong to Israel. What if God, willing, the Lord is not willing that any should perish? We know that both verses are in the Bible. We know that God is willing on the vessels of destruction or the vessels of wrath or the vessels of dishonor that He will destroy them. Okay, well what about Second Peter 3, 9 where it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish. I just gave it away by hesitating my reading for you to think about the whole verse. The only words they care about in there are not willing that any should perish. But let's quote it again. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise of Jesus Christ's second coming, but is long-suffering to usward. Long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who's He going to bring to repentance? Since God is the one that gives the gift of repentance, who's He going to bring to repentance? The elect that He chooses to give repentance to. And why does it say He is long-suffering to usward? Because the verse only applies to the elect that First and Second Peter are written to. That's why it says He's that way to usward. And we preached through that when we just preached through Second Peter a few months ago. So we're looking at verse... 9, that God's made known unto us the mystery of His will, 
and it's according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. He has purposed that he will show his wrath and his power on the devil and his angels and on wicked men. And he will show his grace and his mercy and his glory on the elect angels by preserving them and by saving us, his elect sons of God. And this is his good pleasure, and he's purposed this in himself. We come to verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. The dispensation, the word dispensation means the administration of a period of time according to an office or ordering it or the management of things. God arranged and managed things between Adam and Moses differently than he did between Moses and Christ. Between Adam and Moses, there were patriarchal priests. Noah was the priest of his family. Noah could build an altar, offer a sacrifice to God, and it would be accepted. Abraham did it. Noah did it. Isaac did it. Jacob did it before Moses came. When Moses came, there was a tribe of Israel set aside as the priestly tribe, and they were the ones that offered the sacrifices, just using the priesthood as an example of the change in administration called a dispensation. Here, it's called the dispensation of the fullness of times. Well, the fullness of times must mean the last dispensation because it's the fullness of times, and that is correct. We have from Adam to Moses, 2,500 years. Moses to Christ, 1,500 years. Christ to His second coming, 2,000 years, approximately. The Bible gives us prophecies. We know there is not that much time left in the history of the world. We can't give the day or the hour, and nor, nor do we try to, nor do we speculate by guessing at dates. We're in the last times right now. If you read 1 Peter chapter 1 last night, and there's many examples I could give you, it said this, Who verily was foreordained, Jesus Christ, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Jesus Christ became visible and known in these last times. The third dispensation. Well, the verse is teaching that God's will includes in the dispensation of the fullness of times, in the last dispensation under Christ's rule. Remember, Jesus wasn't here until the third dispensation. He might gather together in one, God will gather together in one, all things in Christ. There is going to be one family of God, one kingdom of God in heaven, in earth, but it's going to be a new heaven, it's going to be a new earth, and we're all going to be brought together and put under the Lordship, but with the Lord Jesus Christ in His kingdom, in His place of glory, in heaven, with Him. That in the dispensation, the fullness of times, he might gather together in one. We need to, when we look at a verse like this, and we think about being gathered together, there's different gatherings. So we want to remember the five phases of salvation. You know, we were chosen in Christ, and that's not here because it's not Christ's gathering. We were put into Christ. But on the cross, he paid for all of us to be gathered together. And he regenerates all of us so that we are gathered together with a new spirit and nature. Chapter 2 of this epistle says that we who have been born again have been raised up and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. 
So there's a vital phase of that gathering. There's a practical phase of gathering of the gospel being preached to both Jews and Gentiles and them being united together into one body. Just like Jesus' death on the cross put aside the law that they were bound by that distinguished Jews from Gentiles was the law of Moses that made them different. Jesus put that out of the way and put us together. So there's this great gathering together of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 10. That all things, all persons, all angels that belong to this kingdom, reign, rule, and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ can be brought together even in Him. God's gathering together His whole family. You know, this is the, this is the epistle where in chapter 3, verse 14, Paul wrote, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So God has a family. Some of it's in heaven and some of it's in earth. Can somebody name someone that's in heaven? Abraham, beautiful, thank you. Abraham's there. It's called Abraham's bosom because Abraham's there. So there's one of God's elect already in heaven. Can somebody give me a name of someone who's on earth? Mark Grimm is on earth. Thank you, Mark. So we've got the family of God. Seriously. We've got the family of God. Abraham's in heaven. Mark's on earth. But where are they soon going to be? All gathered together by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what it says in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10? When Jacob was sitting up on the edge of his deathbed and he had his sons gathered there and he started with Reuben and went to Simeon and went to Levi and then he went to Judah and he said, the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. There's Jacob on his deathbed looking at son number four. All the rulers of Israel are going to come out of Judah. And the kingly line is going to continue in Judah until the last king. Jesus comes, called Shiloh in Genesis 49.10, and to Him shall the gathering of the people be. Who is going to get the whole kingdom of God together? The Lord Jesus Christ. How about John 10.16? Jesus is describing Himself as the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd giveth His life for the sheep. Did Jesus die for the goats? No. He laid down His life for the sheep. And Jesus would say to the Jews that didn't believe on Him, but ye believe not, because ye are not of My sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. My Father, which gave them Me, is greater than all. There's election in John chapter 10. But in John 10, verse 16, Jesus said, And other sheep I have. You better like this verse, because it's talking about you. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, of this Jewish fold, them also I must bring. Jesus will bring Jews, Gentiles together into one family of God. And that is what verse 10 is talking about, that in the dispensation, the fullness of times, there is a progress 
in these verses from verse 3 to verse 10. I mean, verse 3 was before the foundation of the world, because that, and, and 4 and 5, because that's when God chose us and predestinated us, but it's progressing, because verse 5, I mean, verse 7, excuse me, verse 7, when did it occur? On the cross of Calvary, in whom we have redemption through His blood. Where was there bloodshed for us? So there's this progress from what was said before the foundation of the world to what happened at the cross to what Christ is now doing and will consummate at His second coming. He will gather us together, body, soul, and spirit, every one of God's elect in the family of God. And there are associated with us all the elect angels. Because when we go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22 through 24, it says the spirits of just men made perfect are part of a church that includes an innumerable company of angels whose names are written in heaven. This is what you belong to. How can I, how can I declare it to you that you will believe it? This will, this should change your life and my life. You belong to something big. Really, really big. Just the angels are called an innumerable. Now God can count pretty high. An innumerable company of angels. And the spirits of just men made perfect in the blood of sprinkling, which speaketh better things than that of Abel. Abel sprinkled some blood and God accepted that offering. But Jesus sprinkled some blood and God accepted that offering a whole lot faster, fuller, deeper, and eternally for all of us. This is what verse 10 is telling us. Jesus Christ, in this last period of time, is going to put the whole family of God together. Some of them are in heaven and some of them are on earth, but we're going to be put together in Him. We're all going to be joint heirs of Almighty God in the universe with the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that's enough. If you want more, 10 pages. Okay? For right now, this is enough. You understand the verse. I want you all to be able to to read it and believe it, to teach it, and maybe to defend it. If somebody were to get confused about these verses, you could explain to them what it means in verse 10 about all things and being brought together. You know, Jesus had to die for all of them. They all need to be regenerated. They all need to be resurrected, don't they, to get their bodies put back with them. All Jews and Gentiles need to be brought together so that there's no more division between them. Then they all need to be in heaven in one place in Christ before God. Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. I hope you never tire of hearing those verses, those words from that verse of Hebrews chapter 2 because I never tire of saying it. Because he's not ashamed to call us brethren. When he sees us before the throne of his Father, there's my brothers. Do you know what that will be like coming from the throne of glory? Do you know what that will be like when there are men dropping into hell? Those are my brothers. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Lord, are you sure? When did we ever do anything to deserve being here? And as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And we'll all be there. Now, what do you want to tell me? You think you're going to work tomorrow? Do you know that? How do you know you're not going to be killed by in a car accident this afternoon? 
How do you know you're not going to have a heart attack tonight? How do you know that you're not going to get laid off tomorrow morning? What do you want to tell me? Please, I'm, I love every one of you. I know I'm intense. I know I'm harsh. God forgive me where I'm ever harsh that's wrong. I'm just trying to make a point right now. What do you want to tell me? What do you got, what do you got big planned for this week? Going to go to the gym, work out? Going to take your car to the car wash, get it clean? What do you want to tell me? I just told you something that should change your life. I just told you something that's flat out unbelievable. Except we believe it by grace. I mean, he had to change this and he had to change this and he had to change these and these for me to see, hear, and this and believe it. But do you believe it with me? All I can do is cry out with the father of the lunatic, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Heavenly Father, give us an increase in faith that we will lay hold of these things mightily and that they will change our lives and that we will live with an eternal perspective of what you have in store for us. Verse 11, in whom? In whom? Look at verse 7. In whom? Look at verse 11. In whom? Look at verse 7. In whom? What do we have? What do we have in him? Verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. Verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. Not that we're, where were they? Where were these Ephesian saints when they got this epistle? Were they on terra firma? Were they down here on earth? We have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. What a wonderful verse. In whom? In Christ. By being chosen in Christ, not only did that choice in Christ, when did it take place? Before the foundation of the world. Not only did that eternal choice by God of you, by name, in His Son Jesus Christ, bring about redemption 4,000 years into world history on the cross of Calvary, but it also brought into force your ever, your eternal inheritance because an inheritance is given when the testator dies. Do you remember that from last Sunday so I don't have to repeat it? It's Hebrews 9.15. It's very good stuff. By means of death, two things happen in Hebrews 9.15. We were redeemed from our sins and we obtained our eternal inheritance. The same thing right here. In whom? In whom? In whom we get redemption? In whom we get our inheritance? What made it go into force? His death. Because verse 7 is His blood. When did His blood show up? When Jesus died. When did our inheritance go into force? When the testator died. How can God die? God has made you and me a joint heir with Jesus Christ, but how does He die so that we can get His estate? You know, this is simple, but it's profound. It's overwhelming. How does it work? When a man writes a last will and testament and says... I want New Eastland to be the beneficiary of this covenant and for him to get all the things that are contained therein. When does it go into force? When the testator that wrote it, that owns that estate, dies. It is transferred to New Eastland. He has written an everlasting covenant with all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places, including heaven itself. But how does God die? He becomes a man so that he can die. And by means of death, they which are called might receive the promise 
of the eternal inheritance. That inheritance had been promised a long time. Listen to the words. You're there in your Bibles, aren't you? Listen to the words. Abraham, come outside. I know that Lot, being the greedy, covetous, world-loving demons that he was, took the well-watered plains of Jordan. But come outside. Look north, look south, look west, and look east. I'm going to give it all to you. But did Abraham ever own any ground to put his foot on? Not according to Stephen in Acts chapter 7. What did he own? Heaven. Because Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham understood that as a promise of heaven. And now we're not surprised when we hear that heaven's called Abraham's bosom, are we? Praise his glorious name. Abraham was willing to pack up in Ur of the Chaldeans and move 500 feet by foot. 500 miles, excuse me. I'm thinking of feet and foot. and 500 miles by foot and camels to get to the land of Canaan. He did that not knowing where he was going to wander around in that place called Canaan. Here we are. We've got this, this body here that we can come to every Lord's Day, every Wednesday night and communicate with each other in between. And we're just waiting. You know, the Lord's chosen our place to be in this world, the United States of America. Is that decent? We are, we are so blessed. Yeah. What a day. When was the last time you spent a night in a tent? When was the last time you spent a week in a tent? When was the last time you spent a month in a tent without running water? Without a refrigerator? And without your iPhone? We, we have it all. And we have an eternal inheritance. Amen. And we're being gathered together. What happens when a person dies? The second, and I've watched it enough times recently, the second there is no more breath or you hear, where is their spirit? In the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord. He's gathering us together. Is there still part of them on earth? Yep, that's what we look at in a box. As my mother used to tell me, Jonathan, that's just the tent that they live in. That's just their tabernacle. That's just the house that they live in while they're on earth. They're in heaven. We're going to put the house in the ground. Okay, Mom. Perfect doctrine. We put the house in the ground, and the Lord's coming back for the house too. And He's going to pull those houses out of the ground, reunite them with the Spirit, and we shall be forever with the Lord. Now tell me what you know about the future. Did you get it from Channel 7? Listen, they can't even forecast the weather two hours from now. I can forecast the weather for eternity. There's no need of a sun there. You won't need sunscreen. Okay? No sunscreen. And on and on it goes. Do you know how often the tree of life will bear fruit? Every month. Do you know if there'll be no cherubim keeping you away from the tree of life? Do you think you and I are going to be running toward it? It's going to be one of the blessings of heaven. You won't know whether it's time for the tree of life or the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ or to run up and find Abraham. Both Abrahams. I love the word of God. I wish I knew how to tell it. Tell you all that it's full of. For the comfort of your souls, the enlightenment of your minds, the strength of your arms and your feet to serve the Lord while we're here until He comes for us. 
I'm going to break down. You're going to break down. Our bodies are going to break down. I'm going to see you in your bed. You're going to see me in my bed. We're going to be put in a box. But listen, we're going to live every second between now and then. And we're going to live at that moment that this is true about what's in heaven. And the reason we're dying is so that we can be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we want to embrace that, believe that, trust that, look forward to that, and long for His coming for all of us. Verse 11, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, and then it explains this long expression, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Now where is the will of a sinner in that mess? And I don't, by mess I mean this long verse. Where's the will of the sinner? Where's the will of the preacher? Where's the will of the soul winner? It's all according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Everything that happens, who's working it? The Lord is. Whose will is involved as the superintending, managing, overruling, controlling, governing will? The will of God. Especially the matters of salvation are entirely by His will. Look at this text. Never forget this text. According to the purpose, God has a purpose to give away the universe to His Son Jesus Christ and us as joint heirs with Him. The purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Who raised Pharaoh up? He had good parents, somebody will tell me. They had a good military academy in Egypt, somebody will tell me. He was very gifted, somebody will tell me. Do you know who raised Pharaoh up? Almighty God, our Father. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even I have raised thee up for this purpose, that I might make my name known in destroying you. You uncircumcised Egyptian. You vessel of dishonor. You vessel of wrath. It's the God we deal with. Right. I love him. I love him just the way he is. I wouldn't want to change a single thing about him. And let me say it again. And if he sent my soul to hell, his righteous law proves it well. That's where I deserve to go. And I'm not going to sit around and bark and complain about God that didn't elect everyone. He shouldn't have elected anyone if he were just just but He is merciful and He is gracious. This chapter is unique in several respects, but here's one I have to share with you. Have you noticed the phrases of description that the Holy Spirit chose to jam in to these verses describing the greatness of our God and how salvation is based on His will and His purpose and His pleasure and not ours? Have you noticed? Let me show you then. Thank you for not noticing so that I can show you. The last part of verse 5. Look at this. This Oh, is this, this exciting. The first time we read it. You know, Joshua Unger was telling me at break time about struggling with Ephesians chapter 1 when he was a missionary in Haiti. Reading the chapter. Election. Election. Predestination. Predestination. How do I reconcile all this? That's why we're here together. The Lord's helped us reconcile it. 
He's made known unto us the mystery of His will, and we submit to it. Amen. And we, we see all that now. The, the last part of verse 5. Just listen to the, the, the music of these words, because I'm going to read a number of verses in succession, but only the part that glorifies God by describing Him, His will, His purpose, and His pleasure. Verse 5. According to the good pleasure of His will. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Verse 7. According to the riches of His grace. Verse 9. His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. Verse 11. The purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory. Verse 14. Unto the praise of His glory. How much glory does man get? None, thank you. How much praise does man get? None, thank you. Is it man's good pleasure? Is it man's will? Is it man's purpose? It's God's. It's God's from the beginning to the end. This is how He wrote His Bible to us. He wants us to get that emphasis. Timothy, do you hear it? It's the good pleasure of God's will. And it's His glorious grace that we should be to the praise of His glory. Why did God save us? By electing us, Christ dying for us, all of this that's in between verse 3 and here. Why did He do it all? That we should be to the praise of His glory. But who's under consideration with this we? It's Paul and the other Jews. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Who believed the gospel first? The Jews did. Because it was sent to them first. Because let's just cheat and look ahead a little bit to verse 13. In whom ye also trusted. Notice there's two categories here. The Ephesians were Gentiles. Where's the church of Ephesus? In very, very western Turkey. Across the Mediterranean Sea. They were Gentiles. So verse 12. That we should be the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted. And then he goes on to say that you're getting all the bennies that we got anyway. And it comes down to verse 14, under the praise of His glory. See, verse 12, is Paul and the Jews that believed were under the praise of His glory, and the Gentiles that believe are under the praise of His glory. And we both get the same eternal inheritance, and we're just waiting around for the, for the redemption of the purchased possession, which is our bodies. Jesus Christ died for them. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's, because He made them and He died for them. They are the purchased possession. My body. You know, if you're, if you're wise, especially you that are past 30, you'll look in the mirror and you'll say, I can't wait to dump this in a box and put it in the ground. But the Lord's going to come back and glorify it. And it's His purchased possession that it's why we don't cremate in this church. We do not cremate. Right, right. We treat the body with respect because Jesus Christ died for it. It's God's possession and He's coming back for it. We don't need to desecrate it with some Hindu practice. I hope you love Ephesians 1. I hope you can live in the light of it the rest of today. May Jesus Christ be praised.